Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast celebrating the life of recovery after addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. You're listening to episode 19 of We Do Recover. I'm your host, Jared Miller. Today, I'm joined in studio by your co-host and our medical expert, Dr. Terry Sellers. Happy Thanksgiving. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, buddy. Yeah, turkey, a little bit of a turkey hangover. Love it. We also have our producer, Sean Denneman. Hey, guys. There he goes. And our featured guest for you today is a good friend of mine. Her name is Jody Clark. Hi, guys. Jody, Jody. Glad to be here. We're happy to have you. Thanks for doing this series. Absolutely. This podcast was recorded in sunny St. George, Utah. Episode 19, part one is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers. Where addiction ends and healing begins. If you or a loved one needs help, please give them a call. 801-800-8142. So, Dr. Sellers, new and goods. Uh, let's see. What is new and good? What else do I talk about in new and good? BYU <laughs> football, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's hear about it. Well, we got shafted. I don't know if you heard. We got shafted. I heard that they were like in the top 25. We're, in, we're number eight in every major poll known to man, except for the college football playoff rankings, which came out this week, which has us number 14. Like that is so far oh. off, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. There's national people that are aghast that this has happened. Like how do you be number eight in the coaches poll, in the AP writers poll? All of a sudden, the college football playoffs comes out and says you're number 14. Like, that's a that's just way off, frankly. But whatever. Yeah, BYU, that's, that's what happens when you're BYU. I mean, our schedule's terrible. That's the thing. But done everything we could. Yeah. Did you eat a ton of food yesterday? How was I, your Thanksgiving? I ate way too much food yesterday. My wife is a great cook. I mean, she's spectacular. And uh, dinner was lovely. It was good. I had, and then... We started a new Thanksgiving tradition. So I am too old to play a turkey bowl, and my grandkids are too young to play a turkey bowl. And I don't have enough kids to have a turkey bowl, so we had a Nerf gun fight yesterday. My wife went out and bought... I like it. My wife went out and bought, like, 12 of the like the super automatic ones with the with the rotating bullets and everything and we just nerfed the daylights out of each other so it was fun had a good time <laughs> it was a lot that of fun. sounds like a blast yeah nice jody clark what's new and good with you what's going on with you how was your thanksgiving it was so good i had a, it was an awesome day yes lots yeah. of food good people good company it was awesome good deal sweet yes and yours Mine was great. Thank you. Fires right back. I like it. I like it. Mine was great. You know, me and me and Mandy, uh, we did a, just a little Thanksgiving ourselves, and it was nice. Was she it happy was that you surprised her on Facebook Live? Um, no. <laughs> that was so <laughs> no. funny. No. She uh, she's a good sport. She is she a good sport. Yeah. Good sport. Yeah, she's such she a sweetheart. I like it. What about you, Sean? How was how was Thanksgiving for you? Did you eat a lot? Yeah, I ate way too much as normal, like everybody yeah. else. <laughs> yeah. So I anticipated the whole day and started picking and choosing while we were eating and just kind of, you know, noshing along the way and then gorging. Yeah. And then the next four hours going, oh, oh, God. Shouldn't have been. No. <laughs> yep. There you go. Yeah, I was thankful. That's a very nice synopsis of Thanksgiving right there. Yeah. Perfect. Yep. Every year we do the same stupid things over and over. <laughs> Sit there and regret it for four hours. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, got our featured guest here. What do we got? It's 
get into the the journey of oh, Jody God. Clark. Okay, <laughs> shall I do it? Yeah. Okay, Jody. First of all, tell us who you are. Tell our people listening who Jody Clark is right now. Um, I. It's not. It, trust me, I, I'm not. I have nothing with these questions at all. Okay, so it's just like, what are you doing? Uh, like, what are you doing in your life? Tell me about your family. Those sorts of easy things to start off with. Okay. Um. Well, I'm originally from Salt Lake, um, and then I, um, moved. I moved around when I was nine to all these different places. Just you by yourself? You just no, moved on with your my own family. <laughs> no, okay, <I> like so, <laughs> okay, no. so my family. I'm with you. Sorry. My parents got divorced when I was five, and then I moved in with my dad and my stepmom. Lived in Salt Lake for four years, and then my mom got custody of us, and then so we moved all around, like Arizona, Utah, Nevada, and then we finally resided in here in Virgin. It's close by here, but. So I've lived there forever and ever and ever. <laughs> and like, now I'm here in St. George. You're like and I seven, love it. You're like 17 <laughs> years old. You can't have lived there. <laughs> Come on. No. I'm 41 years old. I have two beautiful daughters. Sweet. Tell me their names. Sierra Broadbent and Nisa Haslam. I like it. I like it. Um, okay. What do you do? I actually work for. What do you spend your time doing. Oh, no, I'm no, sorry. no, both, <laughs> both, sort of both. Yeah. So I, I am in recovery. I live, breathe, recovery now. I work at Lionsgate, and I, never, I manage a sober never living. Never heard of it, Lionsgate. What is, Lionsgate what's recovery. Lionsgate? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the the place I got sober at. Oh, and now it? I'm part of their. Doctor Sellers, it's yes. the place that. Gives you a check every month because you're the medical director. Oh, I forgot. Right? About, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't do. I don't do much for that check. It's, I got to be honest with you. Uh, they're good so. to me too. Sweet. So, how long you been working for Lionsgate? Um, for about seven months now. Okay. What do you do? I'm a tech. Okay. What does tech. a tech do? For those that don't know what a tech does, tell us that job description. Um, I just basically hang out with the clients and it's super fun oh. for me. We get to go play volleyball and <laughs> softball and we get to go to meetings. It's just, uh, it's just an awesome job. I love it. So you just named the easy parts of your job. That's not all the job is. <laughs> <laughs> she named well. the fun parts. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Like, I, listen, I have some idea what a tech <laughs> is. And it's not that. It's not as easy as you make it sound. That's for sure. You also have to enforce rules and make sure mm -hmm. clients are doing kind of. I think the, down the path they're supposed <laughs> to be walking down, right? Yeah, I think the hardest part for me sometimes is is calling people out. <laughs> you know. It's hard because I was there too, sure. and I was I was horrible. It's hard to watch people make the mistakes <clears throat> that you've made, mm -hmm. and then <laughs> you're like, and you realize it doesn't work, right? Because you've made them already, yeah. and then you watch other client, you watch other people making those same mistakes, and it's difficult to do. It's easy to get sort of angry and frustrated about those kinds of things. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I do. I do it all the time, and it's like, don't don't do this. Don't be personal. Don't take it personally. You made the same mistakes. You get to allow people to make those mistakes, but mm -hmm. it's just it's just hard to watch. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes because yep. you know it doesn't work. 
I was going to say, I've worked as a tech and I think one of the hardest things is, um, it takes a mentally tough person to, to hold somebody else accountable, right? To go up to him and say, Hey, you're getting a write up because you did mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z right. yep. and do it in a non-confrontational way, doing it in a way where it's very logical, very to the point, take the emotion out of it. So yeah, that, that can be one of the challenging parts of the job, right? Joe? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, I, so, yep. Sure. That's the whole part of calling people out right up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Got a, okay. I got a phone call while I'm on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. It's from a, it's from a place I work down here though. Um, so hi, Travis at Hope Rising. I can't talk right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Take us back. How in, how did you take us back to childhood? We know you moved around a bunch. You lived in every one of the four corners states except Colorado. Mm -hmm. See, I was paying attention. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> except you missed Colorado. So, uh, ever been to the four corners? No. You ever put, your, put never, a, mm -mm. Your, an arm and a leg in each of the four states? I've, <laughs> I've heard about that and I've <laughs> always wanted to. Oh, you got to go do but, that. Yeah. yeah. You just have to one time. <laughs> um, okay. So how did you tell us about uh, how you got involved in either drugs or alcohol, what your drug of choice is and that sort of thing? All right. So my, my childhood was super abusive. I grew up in an abusive home, alcoholic parents. Um, <clears throat> and then when I, so when I moved here, I was 16, I think I was 14 when I moved here and I didn't fit in. I didn't have any friends. I did. I skipped eighth grade because there was not room for me in the hurricane middle school. So I just didn't have any friends and it was hard for me to fit in. And so when I went to high school, I fit in with all the wrong people and I started drinking. And then when I was 17, I lost my father. Wait, I got to slow you down a little bit. That's way too fast for me. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm nervous. <laughs> no, you're okay. You're okay. But I think these are important things that like yeah. you, you started drinking and then you slipped right past that. Like, tell us about the first time you drank and what that feeling was like, or if you even remember that. I do actually. I, yeah. I started drinking and it did, I, I fit in. I was, I was mm -hmm. awkward mm -hmm. and it didn't make me awkward anymore. I had all, I had friends everywhere. <laughs> like I wasn't a nerd anymore. Like when I was in grade school, I was a nerd. Nobody liked me because I was an abused child, so I didn't know how to act. So when I moved here, everything just changed for me because I started drinking and I loved it. I loved every bit of it. Is it because you felt like it lowered your, like, uh, worries, your anxiety, right? Maybe yeah. you just kind of be more social, more yeah. outgoing. Yeah, because I was really socially awkward. We've heard that. That's a common theme, Dr. Sellers. A lot of people talk about, you know, it kind of lowers their inhibitions and gets them out of their, their mind and makes them a little bit more, uh, yeah, it's a social lubricant, I guess you could say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a, this is why I wanted to stop and get to this point is this is a recurring theme for this podcast is people find a substance or alcohol and all of a sudden they fit in and when they didn't fit in before. And the truth is what we are doing as children, I, at least this is my, I, sh I shouldn't say the truth is, this is what I feel like I see from people. That we're all comparing our outsides to someone else's insides, right? I mean, we're comparing our insides to someone else's outsides, I'm sorry. 
uh, we feel like we don't fit in. We don't realize that everybody else in that same circle feels the exact same way. They all feel like they don't fit in, but we feel like we're the only ones that don't fit in. And so we find this substance which drops that sort of self-doubt and some of that and lowers our inhibitions. And all of a sudden we feel like we fit in when in fact nobody in the whole circle feels like they fit in. And so this is a, I I, I don't know what to do with that fact, but the truth is if we could teach our children somehow that nobody in junior high feels like they fit in, right? Everybody in junior high has a great amount of angst. That's a tough time in junior high. The cocky high school court or junior high quarterback doesn't feel like he fits in. Well, yeah. And I'll take a spin off of that too. I think vulnerability has a lot to do with that. People are scared to be vulnerable, right? It takes a lot of courage to step out and do something that's outside of the norm or to say something, make a stand because you don't know how everybody's going to react to it. Right. We're all afraid of that. When I, when I shot kind of the promo to this podcast, it was in my buddy's like work attic and there was echoes and it was just terrible quality. And I had people laughing at me and people that would, you know, send me hateful messages, but you know what? Stuck through it, be vulnerable. And I think you grow right now. Look what right. it's turned into. So right. and it's still the same thing at your age and at, and at my age, we all still feel like we don't fit in all the way and we all still want to fit in. And we all still feel like we need to change something in order to fit in. Yeah. Like we're all afraid of being judged. And the truth is, the rest of the world isn't judging us nearly as harshly as we judge ourselves. So we judge ourselves harshly and then we want to fix that. And so we find alcohol, you found alcohol, I found mm-hmm. opiates and all of a sudden we feel like we fit in. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a theme I wish I could do something with. Like I wish I could figure out what to do with that. But if we could teach somehow teach our children that they don't fit in any worse than anybody else does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just perception. Yeah, Yeah. we think we don't fit in, but everybody else thinks they don't fit in also. And no one's looking at you thinking you don't fit in because we're all too busy looking at ourselves thinking we don't fit (laughs) in. Right? I I don't. This is true. (laughs) Growing up, I didn't have any, like, I'm not looking at somebody else saying they don't fit in. I'm always thinking about me. Mm -hmm. I'm 61. I'm still always thinking about me. But but that's the nature of human existence is uh, the, the middle of my world is right here. It's me. Right. I don't, I'm not judging other people for not fitting in. I'm trying to fit in Yeah. still. So So, I think that's a, that's a point that warrants a little bit of thought for sure. Absolutely. So alcohol helped you, helped you fit in Jody. Yeah. Took us up to about 16. Yeah. So, so how'd you get your first alcohol? Um, parties. I just went, we partied on the weekends out in the sticks. (laughs) 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 Remember those, those days. But, and then I, um, so at 17, my, I lost my father and <clears throat> I became really depressed and big. And so I found this diet pill called Fen Fen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't know if y'all remember that, but that was my first taste of that kind of a, a yeah, head stimulant. change or whatever stimulant. Thank yeah, stimulant. you. And, um, and that was way better than alcohol, way mm. better, way better than alcohol. Mm. So I, I just started doing that. And then when they recalled, I was on that until, till they recalled it because of people having heart attacks or whatever. And then I was introduced to meth. And so I started Cheap doing fen fen. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it did the same thing to me that, right. that that pill did. So I used meth for 22 years well, and I was, it was going to be a part of my life for, and I, I didn't care. I was going to make that a part of my life forever. Wow. I wonder what did the, in your own words, what did the, the substance methamphetamines or start off mm -hmm. with fen what did it, how did it comfort you? Or I mean, was it like, I don't understand just your brain liked it or well, was it, you were trying to mask some emotions or escape? I something? didn't know I was trying to mask emotions, but I, like granted my father just died. Um, I was a mess. I was, I wasn't, I was a big girl, you know, I lost all this weight. I, and then like I graduated high school and I swear the reason I graduated high school is because of that pill. Cause I was able to focus cause I was all over the place. And I had a really cool counselor in high school too. And he, he helped me through all that, but I was, I mean, I was able to focus and not think about what was hurting inside. Right. So it was a little bit of a trauma, a little bit of mm -hmm. maybe some body image yep. uh, insecurities yep. mm -hmm. and, and yep. point, point this out, ADHD, right? Yeah. 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 People yep. that truly have ADD or ADHD respond to stimulants differently than people that don't have it. That's mm -hmm. almost, people ask me all the time, how do I know if I have ADHD? And there's little um, questionnaires you can do and that sort of thing. But in my mind, the best tool to diagnose if somebody has ADHD or not, and this isn't how we do it, but give somebody a stimulant and if they calm down on the stimulant, they have ADHD. Yep. For me, I feel like I have ADHD, but I, I, I don't think, I actually never took stimulants, so I don't know this, but I don't think I would calm down on it. I think it would speed me up and that's not really, that means I don't really have ADHD mm -hmm. or ADD. And I'll have to spin off that because it did, like, when when I started doing meth, I did calm down. And that's why I think I did it for so long, so that I could maintain and focus and blah, blah, blah. And that's just, that's when I decided, like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Sure. Yeah. And there's, a, there's another point for listeners is mm -hmm. th these substances that we keep using over and over, it's not just the feeling of being high that re that makes us use them again and again. They also do other things for us. They make us feel like we fit in, like you said. Mm -hmm. They make us, they calm us down if we're super hyper. They speed us up if we're super unhyper. I mean, there's a bunch of, uh, there's a, they, they, they lower anxiety levels. There's a bunch of benefits to the initial use of drugs or alcohol that people don't realize, and that's part of the motivator to keep doing it. Now, the ultimate motivator is they're addictive and they make us high, mm -hmm. but the initial motivator isn't always that. Sometimes there's something, right? I got started on opiates for migraine headaches, and mm -hmm. it worked, they worked. They don't work long-term, but they worked for a little while. My migraines got better. So people look at people with addiction issues and start judging already, right? Oh, that's a crazy addict, or why would he do that again? Mm -hmm. But because they got a benefit out of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like yep. You got something out of your meth that wasn't just high. Yeah. Yep. So I love you, doc. You, you look at things from a medical point of view. I yeah. want to ask a question. Yeah. It sounds like you said when your parents got divorced, your mom got custody of you, right? No, my no, dad. Your dad did. Dad did initially. Dad and did. She later lived with her mom. So mm -hmm. that 
when your dad passed away, was that traumatic for you? Tell us about your relationship with your dad. Well, like I said, my, my childhood was horrible and I didn't have a relationship with my dad. He, he played in a band. He was gone all the time. And it was, so it was just, I never really had a relationship with him. My stepmom didn't let us have that. Okay. So she kind of got in the way a little bit. Maybe there's some yeah. jealousy there. Mm -hmm. So is that, did at some point, did you move back in with your mom? So I moved back in with my mom or my mom got custody of us. And the reason why my dad's death was so traumatic for me is because I wanted to go on my 18th birthday. I wanted to go tell, take my dad out and like, just tell him how my childhood really was. And he died a month and two days before Ooh. my 18th birthday. So, you never got so I never got that opportunity. Ooh. And how did he I die? think that's why it was so traumatic. He died of natural causes, really? heart attack, how old probably he? of this disease. He was 45. Whoa. Yeah. He's really young for a heart attack. That's yeah. True. He said probably of this disease. Was he also? He was an alcoholic bad. Okay. They were, they both were. Yeah. Fighting, throwing things. I had a weird, <laughs> I had a crazy childhood. <laughs> Wasn't the healthiest, yes. huh? No. Okay. Mm -mm. Well, that kind of helps me understand a little bit more of why, what led into the substance abuse. Yeah. Right. Sure. What, what led mm -hmm. to it. And again, I've said it on other podcasts. Uh, Childhood Disrupted. It's a great book for any parents out there that are listening. I mean, pick up that book. It, it's a great read. It also helps kind of identify some things that to watch out for. Has a ton of statistics in it. It's a great book. This is the setup right here for. This is a common setup, right, of childhood that is just a little chaotic. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to minimize your childhood. It probably was more than a little chaotic, but. This is a common theme we hear on this podcast is kids are asked to deal with things that kids aren't supposed to have to deal with. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you, like sure. you, first of all, it is ideal and I'm not judging anybody who doesn't have ideal, but it is ideal if a kid grows up in a two parent household mm -hmm. where the parents love each other and they love their children. I'm sorry, but that's ideal. Yeah. It doesn't happen all it the time happen. and that's fine. And that's totally fine. It's not, that's not a judgment on where it doesn't happen, but that's when kids thrive the most. When you start taking pieces of that away, kids don't thrive as much. And the fact that you're still here today talking to us after that kind of a childhood is really kind of a miracle. But I think for during those times when they're that chaotic, a lot of children find things to help them escape from that kind of a childhood. Yep. And you found initially alcohol and subsequently methamphetamine that helped you escape from that for a little while. Yeah. Yep. I think that's important. So Jody, take us up to your rock bottom. Like what was there something you can identify that was like, okay, you know, I'm done with this or, or tell us about that. So <clears throat> I had used meth for 22 years and then the last two years of my addiction, I had, I was shooting up heroin. Oh. And I, <clears throat> I knew I was terrified. I was terrified myself and I knew that like I needed help. I just wanted to die. Like I didn't care about anyone or anyone around me. Everyone around me was changing, but really it was just me changing. And I knew that I was aware of that. So I, that was my rock bottom. I, I wanted to die. Mm. Did you literally, did you actually have a plan at some point? No. When but, I, when I hit my okay knees, if you would have died. 
Yeah. Okay. I didn't, I wouldn't have cared. Mm -mm. Bless you, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just, I just remember like praying, you know, cause I didn't want to die, but I didn't care. So right. you that did. was you my did, rock but bottom. You didn't. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. That's tough feelings. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. So you guys have been listening to episode 19, <laughs> part one. Do we do recover? We're featuring Jody Clark. She's shared kind of uh, her past and, and her life in active addiction, what led to it, and uh, her rock bottom. In part two, we're going to get post-rock bottom, her life in recovery, which is my favorite part of the yeah, podcast, right? That's so the, That's what the podcast is about. Join us uh, for part two of We Do Recover featuring Jody Clark after this quick little 30-second break. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery. And once you become of the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Hey, welcome back to episode 19 of We Do Recover. This is, uh, we're featuring Jody Clark, good friend of mine. This is part two. Uh, episode 19, part two is brought to you by Hilton Garden in St. George. It's always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden in St. George. If you're traveling through Southern Utah, give them a Google search. Just type in Hilton Garden in St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities. We love those guys. They take care of us. Great pool. I always sleep really well there. That's a beautiful hotel. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, it is. They're awesome. So Jody brought us into basically up to her rock bottom. And so in part two, as we always do, we're going to dive into what her life in recovery looks like today. This is my favorite part. Yeah. I love this part. I do too. Quick, quick recap back to where we were. She wants to die. Mm -hmm. Like she literally is feeling like if she died, it would be totally fine. Yep. So take us from there. Where do you step up? Like where do you, where does it start to turn? Um, well, I, I got in trouble with the law. <laughs> Johnny Law always right. makes a difference. <laughs> Listen, the police have saved a lot of drug addicts in their day. Yes. No question. <laughs> At first I was, anyway, so I got in trouble with the law. I was on probation. I couldn't, I couldn't give a clean UA for the life of me in and out of jail, you know, just, just so crazy. And then, um, after the second time I went to jail, I was like, okay, you got to change. <laughs> Something's got to happen, you know? So I, I went to my church up there in Virgin and I asked the Bishop to help me. I'm going to get emotional. You're okay. We love emotions here. And I told him that I was honest. Like I told him I was shooting heroin up and that I didn't want to live like this anymore. And I didn't know what to do. <laughs> 
And so he, he did all the footwork for me and I, I went into treatment on, I think it was the 4th of July. And then I, you know, was there for five days and then I ran because I was scared. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to live sober. I had no idea. And I didn't know how to not hang out with the people that had been in my life for, for all those years. Like I didn't know how to do it. So I, you know, of course I ran and I relapsed. Do you, um, do you recall what was going through your mind when you ran? Like what was that thought process? I want to use. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's actually really honest because most people come up with fake excuses, but the real excuses mm-hmm. they want to use, but I got to go see my dogs or whatever, you know, those are the excuses people use, or I got a bill I got to pay or things are happening, you know, that kind of stuff. If you know you want to use, at least you're being honest with yourself at that point. Yeah. Well, and it sounded like Jody was, she was ready to get honest. You know, she mentioned in part one that she, at her rock bottom, she got on her knees and said a prayer. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to say that led you into maybe going and having that conversation with the bishop? And, mm-hmm. and Absolutely. Was that the first time that you really admitted like all your garbage, just kind of put it all out there on the table. Yep. What'd that feel like for you? Was that pretty freeing? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, that's the, the tears, right? The emotion I can see that I can tell that really impacted you. Yes. <laughs> okay. So you left and you used. Yes. Right? So I left and I used okay. and I'm actually thankful that I did that. Interesting, huh? So thankful that I did that. So thankful that you left and Used. went out and yep. okay, explained why. Because in that night, it was one night and everything I knew, I now knew what I wanted and it wasn't that. Seriously, I knew that that is not what I wanted for the rest of my life. And so I went back to treatment the very next day. They took you back? Yep. Well, that was good. Yeah. yeah. Not every place will do that. I mean, I, I had, they had to vote me in and stuff, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I was on watch. <laughs> I, I like that when treatment centers do that, when, mm-hmm. when they vote you back in, yeah. uh, hopefully they're quite liberal about it. I've, I've run a few of those type of groups where we're voting somebody who left back in and you got, you always have to ask people to keep in mind that if you don't vote them in, they could die. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes people get angry at people that leave and, yeah. uh, listen, this is life and death stuff. I mean, you're lucky that you didn't use after five days of being clean and die. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they voted you back in. Yes. So they voted me back in and you know, I was, I was a rebel. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, I, you know, did like snuck smokes in and stuff. And I got, you know, I mean, I was a rebel. I was a rebel and it was when I got caught for smoking. I, I find the, one of the texts there that that said, how bad do you want this Jody? And, and as soon as she said that, I, you know, I changed, I, I literally, I was like, Oh, it was an eye opener for me. And I decided that I was, I was going all in because I'm the type of person all in or all out. That's, there's no like in between. So I decided I'm all in and yeah, a lot, my grandfather, a lot happened in the 45 days that I was there. Like my grandfather passed away. 
they told me I could go to the funeral, but I knew that if I would have went to the funeral, I would have drank. And so I didn't go. I just stayed. Yeah, you stayed where it was safe for you. Mm-hmm. I was safe there. Yep. And then even when my 30 days was up, they were going to graduate me. And I was like, I can't. <laughs> like, no, nope, I, I, I know myself way too well and I can't go. I'm not ready yet. And so they they kept me for 15 more days. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so you left treatment. What happens when you leave treatment? So they do the, um, I, I started going to meetings and like get it, you know, building a support system outside of what I had already known for all those years. Um, they had a program, a day treatment program, and I went, I was in that program for five months. <laughs> Good job though. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was. Good job. We, we know that when people leave residential treatment and don't continue to pay attention to it, that things don't go well, right? Mm -hmm. So you leave residential treatment, you go to day treatment. Mm -hmm. It's a step down, which it should be, but it's not residential treatment to nothing, mm -hmm. right? And there's, and you go to meetings and you, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. So. And then, so, I mean, I, I, I got a job. I was suggested because I was a machine operator. I had, you know, I had a pretty good job, but I, I was never reliable ever at that job, but I've never made less, you know, anyways, they, it was suggested for me to go get a job at an $8 an hour <laughs> workplace to clock in and out. And I was like devastated, <laughs> but I did it. I did everything that they told me to do, like do everything. Was that $8 an hour job? Was it a low stress job? Um, now looking back at it. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that I've found also a common theme in recovery is when you're in kind of day treatment, right. So where you can start working and you're doing treatment, mm -hmm. it's always best to, to start off at a job that's a little bit low stress. I mean, you don't want to jump right back into overwhelming yourself with all these, in other words, it's tough to go from zero to a hundred, mm -hmm. right? You got to kind of get your feet wet and get back out there. And yeah, so yeah. You had a job that was a low stress job too, Dr. Sellers, didn't you? Yes, I did. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was a low stress job, but I, it, listen, I, that job did me a lot of good, mm -hmm. but right. I want to, I want to keep talking about Jody because there's some interesting things here that are coming forward that I think are parts of success. And one is I did what they told me to do. Who's they, first of all, um, <laughs> Just pe like my counselors okay. in treatment, okay. um, they, you know, suggested I get a sponsor. So I got a sponsor. Okay. Um, everyone that was my new family, everyone that was my new family, I decided to listen. Your new social circles. Yes. Interesting. Where did you go to treatment at? Lionsgate. Oh, okay. I did. Cool. Yep. Shout out to Lionsgate. Shout out to Lionsgate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there is... Uh, again, a couple of things that I, the, the critical part of you doing what they told you mm -hmm. to do is that you didn't do what you told mm -hmm. you to do to me. That's yep. the critical part of getting out of the way is re not relying on the same brain or the same thinking patterns that got you into trouble in the first place. So, so you start relying on somebody else. So yep. the, they thing is less critical than the fact that it's not you. Yes. 
Because I knew. You're not, right. (laughs) Who knows better how to run your life than you? Except, wait a sec, your life has been a disaster up until now. People don't realize that. They cling desperately to these terrible thinking patterns, thinking they know how to do best. If you stop and get out of the way, things go better. Rarely have we seen someone fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Like, this is the part people say AA doesn't work. If you listen to that part, if you thoroughly follow the path, people don't fail very often. And that thoroughly following the path is getting out of your own way. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, the there's a huge... Okay, so I, I do... I'm an intake coordinator and marketing director, right, for Crossover. And uh, it's funny because, and I'm sure all intake people can relate to this, people, when you first meet somebody and they, you know, they want to get help... A lot of times it's how they want it to happen, mm-hmm. right? Like sure. they are very, they don't want to give up that control of, okay, it's got to be it, you know, when the sun's at the highest peak and the planets have to align <laughs> and right, like there has to be like some huge metamorphic thing for this thing to happen. And it's crazy yep. to see the transition. Like we just graduated some people last week and I was there for the graduation. And it's crazy to me to see the transition between control and then when they graduate and it's like, so what's the next plan? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to do this, but God will provide a path for me. You know, it's like, <laughs> who are you? And what have you done with the person that I yeah. brought in here 60 <laughs> days ago? Like that's that yeah. miracles happen in that mm-hmm. time. It's crazy. I tell you what, how many in, uh, in any other area of life, have you ever seen somebody come to something, pay $15,000 to an expert, and then they tell the expert what to do? <laughs> <laughs> Like you don't, you don't hire a handyman and give him a bunch of money and then tell him how to do his job. True. Right. I might do that actually. That sounds like something (laughs) I would do. We might might all do that a little bit, but Uh, so often in treatment, people come in and dictate how their treatment's going to go. When in fact, didn't you pay some money to have somebody else tell you how to mm -hmm. make it work? Right. (laughs) If you know how to do it, don't pay him the (laughs) $15,000. Yeah, right. The problem is, is good. This is good stuff because I think that this is also a recurring pattern is we just keep relying on our own brains mm-hmm. and our own self and it doesn't go very well. But to go back to the point that we talked about um, when Chili was here about it takes, she, what'd she say, 100 days and you know this doc, uh, time for the, the brain to kind of rewire itself and to start thinking clearly. I call it clouded because I'm just, you know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. not on this uh like expert cloud is awesome. That's yeah. Fine. Like their brain is, is clouded. And so it takes a while for that clouding to go away for them to realize maybe, you know, all these decisions that I think are best mm, haven't got me so far <laughs> to this point. Yeah. Right? Yep. So that, that, that the medical part of that is it takes 30 days to get all of the drugs and alcohol out of your system. But that's when you get them out of your system, that's when the brain starts healing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Not when it's not when it stops. That's when it starts. And the post-acute withdrawal syndrome, which is described as sort of restless, irritable, discontent, sort of jittery, that is six to 18 months. And that's the part where the brain's actually doing the healing. And so that can take months and months and months before you should even rely on your own brain. It's not healed for a long time. You can get the alcohol out of your system or the drugs out of your system in 30 days, but that's when the healing starts, not when it stops. Yeah, and I have a, a thing to say about the pause, the post-acute. 
Talk to me. Um, so when I first went into treatment, I wiggled. Like, I shook my leg, and I was just nervous, nervous, so nervous all the time. And then there came a point where, like, I don't wiggle anymore. And I'm, I'm, I truly believe that I was going through that because I don't wiggle anymore, and I don't feel like I need... You know, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm ADHD, but I'm not I'm not nervous anymore. Like in general, besides I'm nervous when, right now. But besides when you come on podcast, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a great point. Though. But the awesome. yeah, okay, let's go back to um, let's get back to your story because we got off base a little bit. But I like it. The points are incredible. <clears throat> You're bringing up some really great points. But so you start listening to people. They tell you to do certain things. You start doing them. Tell me what happens in your life after sort of. You've gotten out of treatment. Now, what do you do? So I'm living in a sober living house. I have nothing. I have no car. I have absolutely nothing. Just whatever the clothes on my back. So I get a job at Rigatti's. <laughs> I love Rigatti's because, I mean, it. anyway, so I'd walk to work. I, I got a job what, close enough for me Rigatti's? to walk. What's Rigatti's? I assume it's, it's a, a restaurant. Pizza. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so I'd walk to work every day. And people saw me walking to work every day just bumping my headphones you know <laughs> like at first i was i was like not o- okay with walking you know because i was lazy and then it got to a point where you know i can do this people started watching me do this for a year and a half i i did that and i i got my license back i got you know i got all my fines were paid off at that point and i literally had a car given to me wow wow because you know, cause you're doing the right thing. Cause I'm doing the right thing. And, um, yeah, I just start, I just didn't pick up no matter what. That's all. That's all I did. Whether it was right, whether I felt like picking up, I just didn't because I heard the whole, cause you hear voices in your head and like, if you pick up, play that tape forward, what's going to happen? Yeah. Nothing good. I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But I've got to admit, that's one of the sayings that I absolutely hate because people say, just don't use. Mm-hmm. But that's abstinence. That's not necessarily recovery. And I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I understand why you're saying it because there were some tough times you're yeah. saying. And even in those tough times, you were determined is what you're mm-hmm. saying. Yep. But you were doing a lot more than just that, girl. Mm-hmm. You were getting a job. You were out there paying off your fines. You were Walk, getting your license back. Walking to work. Yeah. Not complaining about it. You were, yeah. you were rebuilding your life. Yep. Yeah. And that from don't, scratch. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. That's so powerful. Yeah. So sorry. I just had to. No, I think that's yeah. great. That's awesome. Okay. What do you, let's, let's talk about today a little bit. We don't have a ton of time left. So let's talk about today. Tell us what your life looks like today. So I, I've started going to school. What? What? Right? <laughs> you can go to school without drinking? You can. <laughs> you can focus. I didn't I'm know not going to lie. It's kind of hard online. The online thing is kind of hard for me. But, yeah, sure. It's, but I am yeah. doing it. Good. What are you going to school for? Uh, I want to get my substance abuse counseling. Why? Because I think I'd be good at it. <laughs> of course you would. Of course you would. I think of course I'd, you would. I'd do really good. You have something sure. that... You can't learn in a book. Yep. Right? And I've I've argued this my entire life because, you know, you, I think I've said it on this show before, but I used to be an obstetrician and I could never have been a pregnant person in my life. Like, that was impossible. <laughs> People used to say, well, you, how can you be a decent obstetrician if you've never been pregnant? 
Uh, okay, I was pregnant once. I lied. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but then, of course, I, I became uh, I became board certified in addiction medicine, and people say, people would say, "Well, you," because I was a I'm a recovering addict, right? People would say, "Oh, you you understand better than somebody else." And I used to argue the other end of that because you don't have to be pregnant to treat pregnant women with mm-hmm. compassion, but you have something that you can't learn in a book. And that is your brain understands that it does things trying to get drugs and alcohol that don't make sense. And if you, if you don't understand that, not logically, but if you don't feel that in here, you don't completely understand what people with substance abuse issues are doing Mm -hmm. because you look at substance abuse logically and it makes zero sense, right? The things you did before just didn't make sense, but they made sense to you, but they didn't make sense mm-hmm. logically to somebody that looks at it from the outside. Yes. So that'd be awesome. I think you'd make a great substance yeah. abuse counselor. Let's you know, one thing that I think you'd, that would make you phenomenal is not too many people embrace this thing. You know, there's, there are people out there that have struggled with the substance abuse disorder, but you'd never know it. And there's people that I personally am, have relationships with that I've invited onto this podcast. And they say, man, I, I just, I just don't want to be known as that. They feel like it's a label. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to what we talked about in a past episode, the, the moral, mm-hmm. right? People feel like it's a moral defect and, and it's not. Mm-hmm. And I love it when people like Jody and everybody else who's come on the podcast can come on and, and be proud, right? Be proud that they're living a life in recovery today. And I think that as a culture, as a society, we've got to make that shift. Mm-hmm. Like we really do. So thank you. And I think that that would help mm-hmm. the, the fact that you're willing to be vulnerable and, and make those connections with people. What do you do for recovery today? Um, I go to meetings. Okay. I manage a sober living house. Okay. I help others whenever I can. I am of service. I have a home group. I'm just, I'm just there. I'm in it still. So- and Sweet. that's what I'm doing for my recovery. Yeah. And I love it. I love recovery. <laughs> she's also a, she's also a, a gym goer like me. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of. He talked me into it. This guy, <laughs> this is another thing. Yes. I go to the gym now. <laughs> like who would have thought? It's common that people spend time at the gym in recovery. Like that's a common yeah. thing. There's a reason that um, exercise releases dopamine in your midbrain which is what drugs and alcohol do. The good news is exercise releases it in amounts that our brain can actually handle. We're not supposed to handle the amount of dopamine released by methamphetamine. Our brains weren't built for that, but, mm-hmm. but in, in small amounts or, or even decent amounts, if we don't have some of that, our life is terrible. And sometimes you can get that from the gym. Mm-hmm. I always joke yeah. around. It's probably a terrible joke, but I still do it anyways. Cause I like to have fun with this thing. Sometimes I think addiction <laughs> can become a heavy topic and I like to have fun with it. So people say, man, are you really not using? And I say, dude, I get high every day <laughs> at the gym. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, yeah. Re- erase and replace that, that uh, blue, blue Robinson came on and talked about. Yep. So too funny. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time. We are, we are. What, what uh, you have any advice for somebody trying to get into trying to change their lives? It was a weird question. I'm sorry. Um, no, it wasn't. It was great. What would well, your message for me, of hope be? For yeah. me, like there you go. My message of hope is if if you do get that gift of desperation that we all get, reach out and ask for help. 
there's always somebody out there that that will help you. There's always meetings. There's it just there's something out there to help you overcome your gift of desperation and that's my advice. I think that takes me back to something you said earlier and that is uh, how difficult is it to go to a bishop when you're shooting a methamphetamine and maybe heroin and you have to go to a bishop and say, can I have help? Because for me, I just wouldn't feel worthy to do that. Right. And so and that guilt that we have would keep us from getting that help. Yep. How do you. I guess desperation is the answer to that yeah. question. How do you yeah, humble yourself desperate. enough to go to a bishop and say, yeah. man, I'm shooting math. Yeah, I was desperate and I, di- I just didn't know what else to do. Yeah. I didn't. So that was my only hope was to go there and, and they helped me. They helped me. Thank God. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm just going to ask in the last minute and a half here, what is what what plans do you have for the future, Jody? What goals do you have for the future? <laughs> yeah, where's Jody in ten years? Yeah, let's get that. Well, guess what? The coolest thing I learned was this crystal ball. <laughs> this crystal ball thing that my one of the counselors told me. If if you continue to to keep using, I'm gonna know exactly what your future looks like. Well, that's a good point. Oh. Um, jails, institutions, or death. But if you do not, can you continue to use? then there's endless possibilities. Yeah. And honestly, I'm I'm there. I have no idea. And I'm thankful for that. You went from crystal meth to crystal ball. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that I was like the it. coolest thing I ever heard and it really stuck with me. I loved it. Yeah, you can't envision the future sometimes. Yeah. It's so amazing. Yeah. But if you keep using, you know exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like maybe that. Not, maybe not every detail, but you know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the yeah. podcast, Jody. Thank you so much for awesome. having me. <laughs> Especially the day after Thanksgiving. It was super cool to get you down here. Nice yes. of you. And I enjoyed your story. Thank you very much. Yes. That thank you guys. Awesome. Yeah, I really absolutely. appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. I was nervous. I'm okay now. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did awesome. <laughs> See, you can do hard things. I can. <laughs> thank you guys for listening. This has been episode 19 of We Do Recover. Listen, if you want to find a way to support this without spending a dime, like it, share it, comment, give us a five-star review. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.